You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right, good evening. Oh, that was, come on. Good evening. That was better. My name's Casey, and uh, if you don't recognize me, it means I didn't have your kids, uh, which you'll actually be thankful for that. Uh, but I was a church planting resident here uh, about two years ago, and uh, since then, Stonegate has planted us out, and we are in Lawrence, Kansas, and we'll talk more about that. But let me start off. We're going to pray, and uh, we're going to get started. Uh, Father, Lord, we love you. And Lord, we ask that you give us stillness. And Lord, it is a big ask because we have all our kids with us. But Lord, we ask that you give us stillness. And Lord, as we paint two pictures from the Proverbs, two traditions of life, Lord, I pray that you would ask the question in our soul, what tradition do I find myself in? And Lord, it would cause us to look at our hearts and say, do I have a new heart? Do I have a heart that's been made new by the power of the good news of Jesus Christ that he looked at us and he said, my life for yours? And so, Lord, we ask you to do what no amount of preaching or no amount of yelling or no amount of PowerPoint or music, we ask your Holy Spirit to do what only it can do, to turn our hearts upside down, that we would look underneath every page of our heart and ask, is this devoted to you? And, Lord, you would give us grace upon grace to give it to you. And so, Lord, we ask for help. And, Lord, we ask for joy. Man, what we see as Solomon or the writer of this Proverbs is saying to his son, there is a life that joy can be produced in any and all circumstances because of the orientation of your life, not the circumstances of your life. So we ask for joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So the big trick here is uh, I'm actually not going to be doing just verses 1 through 9, but verses 1 through 27. And Rodney asked me, he said, hey, can you preach in about 30 to 35 minutes, which I said, can you? And, um, <laughs> and I didn't know the urgency of it because I didn't know like all of my kids would be in here also. Um, and so I feel urgency. Um, and what we're going to see is Proverbs. I'm just giving you a picture of what we're doing because we're in the study of Proverbs. And so this is what I preached last week. I did not preach it in 30 to 35 minutes. We're going to see how that rolls out. Uh, but just what we do and what we see in Proverbs, and it's really unfolding. It's asking the question, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? And wisdom is so much more than morality. It's not just right and wrong. Wisdom helps us navigate all the nuances of life that we can have a life that is orientated toward our creator because wisdom steps in and says, this is what the world is really like and you need to be ready for it. And as a dad, uh, it's been crazy to read this because Proverbs has all the talks that you need to have with your children. And so ultimately, this is a dad coming to his son, and if you've got daughters, you just have to translate that. Every time you see stuff written about, you know, that girl you need to avoid, you need to translate it to that boy you need to avoid, and that's where you pull out the guns, all that stuff. You just need to translate it. All the talks that you need to have, because your goal is not to protect your child from the world. Your goal is to prepare your child for the world. And so what we see is we see 
sons coming into adolescence and we're starting to walk toward manhood. And this is a father sitting down with his son and says, there is a world out there and it is broken and you need to walk in a tradition of life and God can create in you a new heart that gives life upon life. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you can have life. But he says, it's a dangerous place and we need to be ready. And so it, it hits me hard because these are my kids. Um, and so they've changed a lot. So we'll have some pictures up there. And so just kind of walking through, it's awkward because some of them are in the room, but Quinn is her oldest. She just turned six and uh, she's got the spiritual gift of knowing and reminding me the rules. It's an oldest kid thing. Uh, Liv over here, uh, she's a lot like me. She's got this spiritual gift of knowing and cute, 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 breaking all the rules. Um, Cruz right there, my boy, my boy, Cruz, uh, he's got the spiritual gift of just injuring his head all the time. If I don't meet someone for lunch, I'll come home for lunch and I walk in and it's like every day he says, da-da, I hurt my head. And he's got some sort of, I mean, we, he, he does it himself. And then Anna, she's actually changed a lot. She's just cute. I mean, it's a spiritual gift of cuteness. And that's not like a dad thing. That's like a real thing. And so what we see, and we're going to look at this, we're going to see two traditions that fall out. Two traditions. And so when we say two traditions, traditions are things that you find your life in that you never really made decisions about. They just seem normal to you. Like they just seem like the normal thing that you do. And when people ask why you do it, you say it's tradition. And so I uh, married into some traditions. And so Kinsey's family, they are really loud and fun and uh, musical. When they asked me what instrument I played and I said nothing, like they were like, are you sure you wanna marry him? Because they are trying to fill like a bluegrass band with family members. But they sing happy birthday. It's a tradition in a very unique way. Like when they start singing happy birthday, it's normal and it's sweet and it's on pitch. And as the song goes, it builds and it builds until the end you're kicking furniture over and you're jumping up and down and you're screaming happy birthday in all kinds of different rounds and all kinds of different sounds. And it doesn't matter if it's a one-year-old's birthday party because it's tradition. They can be crying and they'll learn to love it one day. <laughs> it's tradition. Or a uh, tradition around my house, uh, my kids love for me to chase them. And so uh, you gotta chase them in character. So I chase them as a zombie. And they, I mean, they don't know what a zombie is, but I mean, I go all out. Like I try to eat them and I'm walking around making noises like the walking dead. And one day, I mean, it's enduring to them. They see zombie and I pick them up and eat them. Even Anna, I carry her around. She's like a little baby zombie. And we try to grab the other kids and take bites out of them. It's affected my kids so much. Liv looks at things and like, can we eat its meat? And I'm like, I don't know, I guess so. And so we walk around. One day they'll see their first zombie movie and they will be so torn. They'll be like, I feel love and endearment, but I'm horrified. What is my father like? <laughs> and if there ever is a zombie apocalypse, they're dead. I mean, they're like, dad. I mean, they're dead. <laughs> and it's tradition. It's just normal to them. And so the first thing that we're going to see is true traditions, a tradition that gives life upon life and a tradition that takes life and gives death. And then we're going to look at hearts. And it's gonna say, a new heart changes everything. And we could look in the scriptures and we could say, how does a new heart change? My circumstances are dark and ugly. And we would get to Acts 16 and we see Paul and Silas in prison. And so their first night in prison, they are handcuffed to other prisoners. And they're like, what else do we do in prison other than not get shanked or stabbed? But we do this. We sing hymns to the Lord and praise his mighty name. 
Now, that, the scriptures are over here, and so I don't know what it was like the night before they were in prison, but I bet they weren't singing hymns. And so what made the difference? It wasn't the settings of the prison. It was the setting of their heart that they saw a God who was absolutely in control, a God who absolutely loved him because he stayed on the cross and he bore God's wrath. And so if he brought him to the prison cell, it couldn't be because he forgot about him or he didn't love him because he's all powerful, all knowing and all loving. It had to be because he had a big, beautiful plan. And so I can trust this beautiful God and it's a new heart. And so let's just jump in. First thing, two traditions. This is where we see it. Verse four, it says, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one inside of my mother, he taught me and said to me. Now, so look at what he said. He says, when I was a kid just like you, my dad taught me this and now I'm teaching it to you. And so it's all the stories you tell your kids and your kids are like rolling their eyes and they don't really care. And you're saying, this is important. My dad taught it to me and I rolled my eyes and you need to hear it. It's a tradition. It came from your granddaddy. And so it goes on, he says, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. And so what he says about this tradition in verse four, he says, there is a life-giving tradition. It's also called the wisdom tradition. And so in the end of verse four, he gets like Terminator like with him. He says, come with me if you wanna live, Sarah O'Connor. And so he says, keep my commandments and live. And so this is a father sitting down with his adolescent son. He says, there are two ways to live out there. And you need to know that there's a way that gives life, a tradition that gives life upon life despite your circumstances. And look at all these benefits that come from this tradition. Look at verse five. He says, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her. We just personified wisdom. He wants to get a young boy's attention. And so he's gonna say, she is so beautiful. Look at her, get wisdom. And so he personifies her. And then listen, he says, and she will guard you and keep you. Love her and she will guard you. And so what, she, what he says about wisdom is wisdom guards. There's a tradition of life and it's not built on circumstances, but it has a guarding nature that holds you. Now this is very proverbial, I love this. So look at verse seven. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. I love it when Proverbs does that. It's like the beginning of a job is get work. The beginning of money is get money. The beginning of love is you might need to get a date, take a shower. I mean, so it says all these things, but listen, this is deep. It says, get wisdom, and then look at this. Whatever you get, so whatever situation you find yourself in life, whatever you get, get inside. And so he says, there's a tradition that wherever you find yourself, you can have understanding of why God has brought you there. And you may not have understanding when you want it, but there can be guidance that you see an almighty God who puts you there for a reason to display something beautiful about himself. Wherever you find yourself, get insight to what God is doing in your life. And so the first thing he says, it, it's a life-giving tradition. It guards you. Look at verse eight. It goes on and says, prize her highly and she will exalt you. And so it says something about this tradition. It's an exalting tradition. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. 
And so it will exalt you, it will beautify you. There's something about a life that falls in this tradition that can look at all the circumstances around it and it looks havoc, it looks crazy, but there's something holding them that makes a beautiful, beautiful life. I mean, it says this. I mean, look, it says, a graceful garland will be hung on you. A beautiful crown will be bestowed upon you. It's something exalting. Our one-year-old Anna who's got the spiritual gift of cute, she uh, just got some new tennis shoes and they're Converse, guaranteed to make you run faster and jump higher. And they're pink because she's a girl and that's what we do because we've got three of them. Everything's pink and purple. I mean, camo is pink and purple, but that's what we got. And it affects my son. He plays with girl stuff and that's all right. He'll be all right. I had two older sisters. I turned out somewhat okay. When she puts her new shoes on, she doesn't walk normal. She knows they're beautiful, and she just kind of prances around like this. Like, do you see me? Look how tan and athletic I look. And so there's something about this tradition that exalts and beautifies. And he says, find yourself in this tradition. Look at verse 10. It says, hear my son and accept my words, for the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of uprightness. Now look at this. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. Whatever situation you find yourself in, there will be a way to walk through that is not entangling because this tradition frees you. When you walk, you will not be hampered. And look at this. And if you run, if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. When you think of just a crazy life, like a life that runs here and there, that there's no guidance, there's no system, there's nothing. If you can't think of someone else's life right now, someone else is thinking about your life right now, and it is this situation where you're always having to run, and there are times that you have to run, but he's saying there's a tradition that you can walk in that is freeing, that your steps don't have to be hampered, and if you run, you don't have to stumble. And then we bring this to a close with this tradition. Look at verse 18. It says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. And so we step down because it gives this description. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. He says there's a life-giving tradition that expands and expands and expands. My, um, my grandparents, Grandma Kay and Grandpa Geyser, yeah, that's his real name, Grandpa Geyser. I love the name. I want to name Cruz Geyser. It did not make it. Um, but man, they left this incredible tradition of godliness. My kids will, will know them by name only, but they will feel traditions. When I think of my grandparents, we just uh, had their funeral service just about a year ago. They died several years before, but they donated their bodies to science. And so like someone was cadabbing them somewhere. And it had been so long that my dad actually called them and was like, hey, I'm looking for my, grand my, my parents. And it was like, oh, you don't have them yet? Oh, here they are right here. And we're like, I don't know if that's grandma and grandpa. And so it's this tradition. So we finally had the graveside. And so we were burying them and we were sad. And we were thinking, all of a sudden we start telling stories and our kids are playing on the tombstones and getting all other kinds of stuff because they don't care about the stories. But we start talking about the stories and we started realizing, man, all from their life, chocolate can't be bad for you because my grandpa lived to be 94 and he had a wonderful head of hair, unlike me, and he ate chocolate every day. It cannot possibly be bad for you. When we would go there, 
there would be this refrigerator. It was back on the patio and you would open it up and there would be mountains of chocolate candy bars and expired Dr. Pepper expiration dates are apparently just a suggestion. They don't really mean anything. And we would be so excited when we got close to the house, like Pavlo's dogs, our mouths would start to water as kids. And the first thing we would run in, we'd hug our grandparents and grandpa guys would take us back and we would open up an expired Dr. Pepper, who knows, like World War II maybe, and we would open it up in a candy bar, and we would sit there, and our hearts would be full. We felt loved. I mean, we were talking about all these different stories. I mean, I remember sitting there, you can pickle anything. Anything you want, you can pickle it, put it on a little plate with a little fork, and so we'd eat all these pickle things, or we would try to avoid these pickle things. I remember some of their art, like my grandma loved like French Impressionist art, and they can be impressionating on young boys' minds because they'd be like mermaids and harps, and I'd just sit there with my pickled plate, like look at it like, I don't think I'm supposed to look at that. And so, I mean, I just remember all these things that leaned me in such a way. My grandpa, he, he worked in Venezuela at the oil camps, and so they spoke Spanish, and they would fight in Spanish. Have you heard a fight in Spanish? It sounds legit. <laughs> like someone's about to get stabbed. And so they would fight in Spanish. But man, they loved each other till the day they died. As a teenager, I remember sleeping on the couch one morning. They'd always cook us waffles. And they always burned them because they had this like prehistoric waffle maker. And it always burned. I remember waking up and looking in the kitchen, kind of weary-eyed. And I saw my grandparents who fight in Spanish, but they were kissing in French. And I was like, oh, oh. Those are things in life that just lean me. I just feel them. When my grandpa died, we were going through his stuff. We were going through these boxes and boxes. I found this old journal and I opened it up and on the front page, a couple pages were torn out, but on the front page, I saw all this different color of ink. And it was his Bible reading plan. And every year, he read the Bible in a different translation and read it all the way through. And so, like, number one was, like, NIV, and then, you know, it'd be King James Version, a new King James Version. Every fourth year, he read it in Spanish. And so, all of a sudden, I see this heritage of faith that I just grew up in and just showed up. It's this tradition that I found myself in. And this tells us something, like if you find yourself in a different tradition, but you're looking ahead and you say, I want my grandkids to be in something totally different, that they just feel, man, God can bless that days upon days upon days in a life-giving tradition. And so tradition is something that you just feel, and it's something that goes beyond circumstances. And so we have the 23rd Psalm, that when it turns in verse 4, it says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And so it's talking about a tradition that can walk through, we just said, the valley of death. And so what do you do in the valley of death? Well, it goes on, it says in verse five, you have a picnic, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy, not because of the circumstances, but because of the guy that's with you. And he's talking about despite your circumstances, there's a tradition of life and there's a way to get it and we get to the end. There's a way to get it with a new heart. And so he says, you can have a picnic in the valley of death. And then it goes on, it says, we're still in the valley of death. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
the setting didn't change. I mean, this dad is sitting down. He's like, I can't tell you what circumstances will come for your life. I can't tell what money will look like for your life. I can't tell you that your kids will be born healthy. I can't tell you any of that. But there's a life-giving tradition that you can find yourself in. But then he says, but there's a different tradition too. And he goes on to describe, and so he says, there's also a life-taking tradition, and it's called the wicked tradition. And so real fast, we'll go through these. Verse 14, it says this. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Those two words are describing a broad, hard path. It's a well-worn path. It's where we find ourselves. It's where we naturally go. It's what grows indigenous to our soul, our waywardness that gets away from reality, that speaks lies to us, that doesn't let us see what is real. And he says, stay away from that path. And then it goes on. I mean, look at verse 16. It says, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. It tells us that it's an addictive path. It's the path that you naturally find yourself on, but it's also an addictive path. It says they cannot sleep until they've done wrong. And so Proverbs says all kinds of things are addictive. Proverbs says that substance can be addictive. Read Proverbs 23. Proverbs says that sex can be addictive. I mean, read Proverbs 2. Proverbs says words can be addictive. Proverbs 18.8, listen to this. It says this, the words of a whisper. So this is gossip. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of your body. I mean, have you ever had someone come and say, hey, I need to tell, I probably shouldn't tell you. And something rises up in you and you say, no, no, no. I'm a pastor. I might need to pray about this. Tell me. (laughs) Something is drawing in you. And so what he's saying is there's a path that leads to death, and it is addictive. And what we want you to know is all sin is addictive, and it starts off showing you the very best that it can show you, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And then we see how it folds out. Look at verse 17. It says, For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. It's talking about it changes you. You can be changed by life circumstances. If you don't have a new heart, circumstances change you in such a way. And it's talking about changes you. The wine of violence. It's an intoxicating. In Genesis 4, Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden and they are now on their own and they're out there and they have sons and you have Cain and Abel. And in chapter 4, verses 6, God comes and he comes to Cain and he says, listen, You need to be ready because something bad is about to happen. He comes to him like a counselor. He says, why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? He's saying, why are you depressed? Your circumstances are changing you. He goes on and he describes what happens because they both brought offerings to God. They both brought, Abel's was accepted and Cain's was rejected. And so he hated that his loser little brother was accepted and he was rejected. And so it goes on. And this is the warning. He says, if you do not watch this, he says, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. And so he says, sin is at the roadside. It's waiting for you and it's hunkered down. It looks smaller than what it is, but it wants to own you. It's only showing you one piece of it and it's addictively pulling you in. And so he says, there's this path 
Man, it takes life. It's well-worn. It's indigenous to our soul. It's addictive. It changes you. And then verse 19, he says, it's blinding. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. Have you ever... Have you ever sat with someone who's really struggling with something like deep addiction? I was in, um, I was in Warrensburg, and uh, we had a college ministry that we started there. And at the end of it, one of our girls who had just really started coming, she came and said, man, I, need, I want you to pray for me. I want to talk to you. And we sat down, and I was like, what's going on? And she says, I'm addicted to sex. And I remember almost laughing because I'm like, man, me too, you know I mean? And I was like, what do you mean? He said, two years ago, I, I ran off to Kansas City, and um, there was a guy, and he was just giving me drugs, but I found out you, no one just gives you drugs. And so then he started to rape me, and when I finally got out of that for several years later, I find myself now, when I feel lonely or afraid, I just go find someone to have sex with, because I feel like if I leave them, then I'm safe. Like you hear that and you're like, that's not even possible. How do you even come to that place? How do you even realize that? How do you even make that sound reasonable? Because sin is blinding and it binds you. And so he sits down with his son and he says, there's two traditions, a life-giving tradition and there's a life-taking tradition. And what makes all the difference is a heart. And so he says, son, there's two hearts. There's my birth heart that I'm born with, and there's a heart made new by the gospel. And so he unfolds really fast. Look at verse 20. He says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my saying. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. And so it tells us something about a new heart. A new heart is an inclined heart. It's a heart that wants to lean on the promises of Jesus. It's a heart that starts off like this. If you are far from God and you don't know Jesus as your savior, an inclined heart usually sounds like this. I hope what he says is true. I hope it's true. It sounds too good to be true, but I want it to be true. It's a heart that's starting to lean. And so he says this, a new heart is an inclined heart. He goes on in verse 22. He says, for they, the words of truth, are life to those who find them and healing to, look at that, all their flesh. A new heart experiences comprehensive healing. He says to all their flesh. The Bible is able to speak God's word into us and the Holy Spirit is able to take them and to start heal us from the inside out. Our circumstances may not change at all, but we start to change. And so then it goes on, verse 23, what does this new heart look like? And it says, keep your heart with all vigilance. And everything else in this chapter is describing what vigilance looks like. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the spring of life. And so it says a new heart is able to flow life in any circumstances. Verse 24, a new heart is able to put away. He says, son, put away from your crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. And so a new heart is able to see things that are contrary to what God would want to grow in their life. And because it's made new, it's now able to put away. So that tells us that an old heart can't fully put away without taking something else on. And he says, you can put away, verse 25, it says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. A new heart is able to see and focus on Jesus. A 
a new heart is able to see what reality is like all around them, to see the circumstances of their life, and it's able to incline itself toward Christ and say, but I trust Jesus. And then the last thing, verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And so a new heart is able to really think. And so he paints two traditions. And he says the circumstance of those traditions can look exactly like, but a new heart is what makes all the difference. And so Proverbs 4 is telling us, it's, it's leaning us, it's saying, what kind of heart do you have? What flows out of your heart? And here's the beautiful promise of the gospel. If you don't have a new heart, all you have to do is ask for it. Everyone who wants Jesus gets Jesus. Listen to this promise. So Ezekiel in chapter 11, he's echoing this promise and he says, one day there's going to come a man and he's going to be the savior and he's going to be able to give you a new heart. And he says it like this. He says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit and I will put within them and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes Keep my rules and obey them, for they shall be my people and I will be their God. Let's pray. You know, just in studying, um, just as you sit there, just to kind of be still, in studying Proverbs, man, it's just made me keenly aware that what a good dad does for his son is he paints a very real picture of what's out there to prepare the heart of his son to see what's out there in a fatherly way. And in the same way, man, God comes to us and he says this, this world was intended to be something so different, but it's broken now. But I'm able to make you into something. I'm able to make you into something that can still find joy in a broken world. And so Proverbs 4, it inclines us, it leans us to ask these questions. Man, really, what, what are the circumstances of my life? What tradition do I see my life in? Is there life that builds up on life in dark circumstances? Or when circumstances change, does it change me? Am I growing darker and more jaded and more bitter? Where do I find myself? And then the turn of the gospel is this. Jesus can make you new and he will walk you out of it. And it just says you just have to ask for a new heart. And if you're sitting here and you're like, man, that's gotta be too good to be true, but I hope it's true. That's an inclined heart, hoping on the gospel and Jesus will keep walking you through that. Lean in. And so we rest with, man, what tradition is that? What is my heart? Father, Lord, we ask that you would come, and as we move just the end of uh, the service, Lord, we ask that you would just be really, man, you would just be the, the caring, loving Father who have all the hard conversations with us despite how awkward it is. Lord, and we ask you to come into our hearts, and we ask you to touch the things that we have labeled untouchable. We ask you to speak about the things that we've declared unspeakable. 
And Lord, we ask you to move the things that look immovable to us. And Lord, we ask you to do what we can't do. We ask you to give us a new heart. A new heart. Not a heart of stone. A heart of stone doesn't cry out to their father and doesn't follow in obedience. A heart of flesh cries out to the father and follows in obedience. Lord, we ask you to change us with the good news of what Jesus has done, that he stepped in and said, I'll take up on all the numbness. I'll take all the heart of stone up on myself and I'll let you feel. And just in a real way, you can think about your life as it is and have hope. So Lord, we ask for the hope and the power of the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.